Welcome to the Keyforge Premier League podcast, where we will focus on the people of the community that are contributing to the growth of our sport. Get inside perspectives on the reasons they play Keyforge, what they think about the community, and various other sidebars and hijinks. Be sure to go to the website, www.keyforgepremierleague.com, to find everything you need to know to get started on your path to the top. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast. And if you have any inputs or requests, please reach out to us at keyforgepremierleague at gmail.com. And we will do our best to represent the demand of the player base. The Keyforge Premier League is by the community for the community. And this is Jupiter from Manlius, New York, coming at you with the KFPL Weekly Podcast. I know it's been a while like since I've done a real podcast. I did put out the little info podcast, but that was really not that big of a deal. But I did find me somebody else to play with today. So uh, this is who I brought with me from the KFPL League. It is... Hey guys, it's Drascore. Drascore. So Drascore, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from and how you got to the KFPL. Sure, sure. So, um, so I'm from the Philadelphia area, and um, so I started playing KeyForge uh, very casually in the beginning. Right, so the game first was coming out, and I heard about these random deck names. It was Richard Garfield, and I'm a big board game player, and I play a lot of D and D and stuff, but never really got into you know serious card game. Um, CCG type stuff, but I heard about this this interesting sounding game where you got random deck names. So I bought two decks and actually played my first games in line for PAX Unplugged that year, and uh, just sort of opened a deck and uh, turned out I had a Horseman deck and played against another guy who had played the first time the last you know, yesterday the day before, and he just realized he had a lands deck. <laughs> And uh, we just sort of played a match, and I thought it was a ton of fun, and and uh, just started playing more and more over time. And um, um, first vault tour I ever went to was 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 actually Pax Unplugged the next year, the following year. Awesome. So that is a big deal. I, went, I was supposed to go to PAX, but I ended up having something come up because my mother-in-law actually lives down there in Phoenixville, so she's not too far from you, um, yeah, which, which we've yeah. recently learned. So, hey, look, another another Keyforge buddy in the area. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Uh, the... The KFPL, like what, like what has it meant to you? Like what have you, what have you gotten out of the KFPL, KFPL so far? Like what does it mean to you as a player? Um, so, well, it's fun. It's been fun so far, right? So I... Uh, you know, I play this game for fun, right? I like to play against people who are good. I think I think it's fun, um, and uh, you know, so getting an opportunity to play against some folks who you know, are known known quantities, right? I think in the first game I played against uh, Sir Alex of of Sanctimonious, so it was cool just to sort of chat with him a little bit. Um, I, I played him online, like on the Crucible, like. You know, once or twice, and just said hey or whatever. But that's the first time I really got to chat with them, so that was fun. And it was a real close match, and uh, um, so that so that was fun. Um, so so I don't, you know, I, I I feel like I'm a good player. I don't know that I feel like I'm like the best player in the world. Um, so so uh, you know, just trying to to 
trying to have fun, do well against good people is, is a lot of fun. Well, that is the reason you're here is to prove how good you are, right? And uh, <laughs> and uh, Sir Alex is uh, undefeated right now, so like it's not like you lost to yeah. a schmuck, right? Like uh, no. Alex uh, and Alex has been around since day one. He's like one of the OGs of the uh, TCO scene, so mm-hmm. um, you know, like nothing to be ashamed of. And, and honestly, like the, everybody in this league has been proven somehow in keyforge right they've done something that got them here right it's like we didn't let just anybody play in this league so um Mm -hmm. all in all like you just need to continue to have fun and and enjoy the league and to see where you stack and then in the end there can only be one it's like the highlander right you guys are just gonna cut each other's heads Mm -hmm. off until it's over and uh (laughs) and then then we'll have our king right and uh so let's um like for the podcast today i wanted like uh, i was setting up a conversation um points and stuff to talk about and uh, i had to talk to uh draz here i'm gonna call you draz and um, sure. i mean I, I talked to i talked to draz here the other day about what i was setting up and stuff and he was interested on in coming and helping me with it so the topic i'd come up with uh, come up with for this week was kind of to revisit some of the things i've talked about before in my in my podcasts of old so um today we were going to talk about how you choose a competitive deck like what makes you want to pay like a good amount of money for a deck online or what makes you want to look at uh, a deck and say man this deck could really hang in the in the big leagues right because in the end there's always rng there's always variants there's always things that you know could tip in a way where you play the deck as well as you think you can play the deck and you look back and you go man i don't think i made any real mistakes um but you have to look in the mirror. That's like number one, right? You have to look in the mirror and be able to tell yourself if you've made mistakes, because that's the hardest thing to do as a player, I think. Uh, what, what's your experience with that? Do you think it's easy to like self-evaluate yourself and, and find the mistakes that you made or the lines that you made wrong? Um, I, I don't know if easy is the right word. I think it's it's a little bit of my nature to be critical on myself. Mm-hmm. To, um, you know, when... Um, uh, you know, when I'm playing in a tournament, you know, I, I guess we, the way I got to KFPL was through through that um, PAX Unplugged uh, Vault Tour. Through the, 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 I won the sealed Vault Tour there. The first and, time you ever played in a Vault Tour. Yeah, yeah. The first time I ever played in a Vault Tour. I guess technically I played in the, so you... the uh, PAX Archon event right before the sealed event, but but that was the first um, you know Vault I had been to. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and, and so in some ways that, but that experience of going through that, that sealed event was very much about, um, figuring out sort of what I had done, not necessarily wrong per se, but like how I could do better mm-hmm. through each match because the deck I got was really strange. Why don't you tell um, us a little bit about the deck? Like, what do what, what was what was the strangeness of the deck? Uh, so it was uh, Master of Knock Burning, mm-hmm. and it was a Star Alliance Dis and Brobnar uh, Worlds Collide, and um, it was the only deck of the three that wasn't awful. <laughs> All three of my decks that I got were were uh, Brobnar well, and what was it called again? The master of knock burning, and so um, when I looked at, it, I knew the Star Alliance was really good, but I, I felt like the rest of the deck was kind of junky. So, and, so this is a sixty-three mm-hmm. SAS deck. I just looked yeah. it up. That's, yeah, so, so there you go, folks. <laughs> the lowest SAS deck. I feel like that's something. The lowest SAS deck that's won a Vault Tour so far. But let's so, look, let's look at what it really does, though, right? Like, um, 
this is kind of an important thing is that you have transporter mm -hmm. you have the transporter platform now we didn't see any of your games so i don't know oh, exactly yeah. what happened but i'm assuming that that became an that became an engine mm -hmm. for you because you did have two solid artifacts for that yeah. transporter platter platform you had two kirby's two spears and a morpheus it all in mm -hmm. star in uh, star alliance that seems like a pretty hot star alliance set your, oh, yeah. uh, your Dece was actually kind of weak, like, uh, overall, like, mm -hmm. for what Dece could normally be. But you did have the Rock Grubs and Furnace, two Harbringers. So you had control elements there, like, for sure, with the mm -hmm. draining touch mm -hmm. and the Hysterias. Yep. So yeah, I could see that the board control aspect there is probably very, uh, very uh, at least entertaining for you in a sealed event, right? And then you look mm -hmm. at the Brobnar, because you played Brobnar, which is, yep. uh, woo! You know me, I love Robnar, but um, you had pile of skulls. I think that and yes. a shattered throne. That is insane. Yep. And you had Ragwark, which is a very under, I think, under um, utilized card. You did have Berserker Slam, which is the best card in Worlds Collide for Robnar, I think. Um, mm -hmm. Tremors for interruptions. You had and then you had like two nine toes. Jark, slimy Jark is very underrated. Uh, Alaka and Grok. So like, n like you said, like when you I look at this deck, I'm like, man, not super exciting. But the Star Alliance is just so good. I'm guessing you piggybacked the Star Alliance pretty hard. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And so that was what I was trying to iterate on and learn throughout the course of the um, of the first day. Right was. Yeah how much could I lean on Star Alliance and how much could I, um, uh, you know, how much could I basically avoid using the other houses and when was the right time to say, okay, fine, I'll play a Brobnar turn or okay, fine, I'll play a this turn. Mm -hmm. um, and and was it right to play things like Ragwark? Was it right to play Shattered Throne? Uh, th things like that. Mm-hmm. Those are all and, uh, those are all very mm -hmm. swingy type cards, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Like right. whereas Piles of Skull is very direct, it's like it's very good for you. Mm -hmm. Like Shattered Thrones plays both ways, and so does Ragwarg. So, mm -hmm. um, and you do have a, like a, you do have twenty one creatures though, but the Ragwarg like demolishes your spears and stuff, like which are like key cards for you. So, how yeah. often how often which, how often yeah, did you get to hit? In the deck, yeah. yeah. How often did you get to hit the spears? Um relatively often so hmm. uh, and and because there's two of them yeah uh, that helped a lot yeah right and and um people were at least some people were much more worried about kirby mm -hmm. um than than spears so but i i think that i would prioritize uh you know wording spears and protecting spears yeah, I think that uh, that's like kind of a a hype mistake, right? Because when Kirby first came out, it was like tons mm -hmm. of like, oh, get as many Kirby's in your deck as you can. They're so good. So you get mm -hmm. kind of blinded to other good cards in the set. And like in this in this sense, um, Helmsman Spears is like going to drive you through your deck. Like Helmsman Spears is probably the most dangerous Star Alliance character in the set as far as not yeah. like saying she's the greatest as far as like she just does everything and stuff but if she stays alive for one turn or two like there's a good chance that your opponent is going to outdraw you like like big time mm -hmm. and um because her ability just lets you stay in star alliance and star alliance usually has things to mess with that uh construct and in this deck you have contrino flux as well so you can have you can blow up you know multiple things on your own. like there's so much like uh you actually have like a ton mm -hmm. of board control with the way the deck is played 
like uh with yep. all the dis and in the removal and stuff you even have a freaking onyx knight like just to add to the mm-hmm. to the hahas which um leaves that actually is in, in perfectly in sync with all your powerful star alliance guys minus the kirby right but like uh mm-hmm. your mm-hmm. your molina stays your helmsman stays like your uh, science officer Morpheus stays, and it pretty much blows up the rest of the board. And Onyx and Knight doesn't touch your Harbinger of Dooms, so you have like a double board wipe if you needed to. With uh, if there was warding or anything like that, like lots of cool little tricks in this. But you know, enough about the master of knocking burn, burning, <laughs> knock burning. Um, the idea here for this podcast was that we were going to talk about how to choose a deck, a competitive deck. And uh, obviously mm-hmm. you made the right choice here um, because it has a lot of the things that we're going to talk about. And I guess mm-hmm. when I talk about what makes a deck competitive, there's three things that come to mind and it's always been three things for me. It's been Amber interactions, board interactions, and then how you cycle your deck. Um, I think these three things are the, the fundamental of any competitively good, uh, uh, Keyforge deck. Does that mean that this is like the standfast rule for everything? No, there's always ex- exceptions and like oddities that end up being, you know, kind of on the on, on the fringe of something, or they do just do something so well that like they are competitive. Um, if you have a deck that like has no amber control at all, but has like you know 35 to 40 uh, generated amber, like there's a good chance that deck outruns most decks most of the time. So like this is kind of like when you're nitpicking at the very top end and you have the best of the best cards. This is kind of where I'm nitpicking at. I'm basically going, this is the thing that's going to help set things back. And if you go and you do your research on say like you go to reapout.com, I'll give them a shout out. They have like a whole section of people who have top aided like decks that have top aided all the multiple vault tours and things like that um go do your research there go look and stuff and see how many decks there actually did well or placed in the top four with without amber control or without artifact control or without like a, a decent amount of amber control like you won't find many like uh the better players usually are separated by the better quality of their play like their decks right they can kind of curve the variance by being having something to deal with a little bit of everything and then playing the things at the right time at least that's my experience in the game like where would you put yourself with that idea Drac? Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's um, and actually, in many ways, the master of Knockburn taught me at least about the the speed aspect. Right? How how did it teach you about speed aspect? Right, I actually undervalued that going before going into the event. Mm-hmm. Well, because it just cycling through the deck so quickly with spears and with Kirby was so important to it because it's only got eight printed Ember, mm-hmm. and um, and I realized like in a nine point one expected Ember. So, so I realized through the course of, of playing this deck that, like, there's no way I'm gonna win if I just sort of, you know, plunk out one card, reap. You know, I, I gotta, I got to cycle fast, fast, fast. I gotta get to stuff that's my high value stuff. Mm-hmm. So, the thing that gives you speed, and then the high value Ember control, Ember generation, those are the things you need. You need to pull, and you need to, you need to play more often. Yeah. So when you're checking when you're checking a deck, I think the first thing that we, we talk about is like something you just hit on is amber interactions, right? Most important thing in the game is to make amber to be able to make keys. If you have no way of making amber, then you have no way of winning. And it, lucky for you, every creature is a built-in amber pip, right? Like you can basically reap and get amber off of them. So no matter what, a deck is always going to have some kind of amber. But when we look at amber interactions, we look at basically three things, in my opinion. You look at the raw amber the basically generated amber or expected amber and you look at the capture 
uh, capability, like the captured amber or the you know, basically manipulated amber, right? Um, and so for raw amber, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's basically you count your pips, and that's how many <laughs> amber you get off of raw amber, right? So like literally, it's mm -hmm. like how many cards do you play that give you a pip, and you get to basically play for amber. Um, very important. Um, the higher the number, the better, really. There's no set number that is like your deck sucks if you don't have this much. Um, there's nothing like that in, in Keyforge, right? Like you have to look and see what your deck does as, as the story, basically, right? Every deck has a story. You need to learn how to read it. And um, so some decks do better with less. You know, they don't need as much, and other decks need a ton of it, right? And part of the balance and learning in, in getting to the next level of Keyforge is being to, able to know like what kind of raw amber score you have versus the tools that you have in your deck to play. And um, part of that goes into the expected slash generated amber that I said, which is basically amber that you get off of abilities and bonuses. Um, that kind of goes in with your raw amber, which makes your expected amber um, like total like kind of relevant, right? Like because now you're looking at it and you're going, how much deck, to, how much amber can I create off of my own plays that are not going to be like just putting a creature down and reaping with the creature because that's not really expected amber that's just part of the game and it's like a timing thing right it's ba but basically like what kind of creature can i put down like say like a, a dew fairy i put it down i reap with it and i get extra amber off it that's a that's a generated extra amber because it's making amber above and beyond the, the basic ability of making the amber right um so i think that this is like probably the most key stat to a top level deck right you have to have a certain you know amount of expected amber in your deck again not the end all be all of anything but like what what would you say how important is amber to you in, in the scale of what we're talking about like as far do you agree with me that, that amber is number one out of between board interaction deck cycling and amber or would you would you pick one of the others well i'll say when i'm looking at an archon card and evaluating whether or not it's a deck that I want to play, the very first thing I do is just tally in my head my own rough count of expected ember. Um, that's always the first thing. And as I'm going through, if it if it doesn't have, I'll say, quote unquote, enough. I don't know what enough exactly is, but if it's low, I'm much less likely to to want to play that deck to buy that deck unless it's got something particularly interesting that I see in it otherwise, right? If there's particular reasons why I think, hey, I'm gonna have a really sticky board, I'm gonna I'm gonna be okay to reap a lot in one of the houses, then maybe I'm a little more lenient. But it is it's the first thing I look at. I'll tell you what enough is, is if you have thirty six raw amber, that is perfect. Okay, let's do it. That's perfect. <laughs> that is enough. I want that. Now, every card you play spits amber. I don't think that deck <laughs> loses, but uh, <laughs> but um, it could still do it. You could still lose with that. But yeah, um, I, I, I like to have yeah. I like, I like to have eighteen feels like a a good number to shoot for, but I'll certainly go under that. Less than fifteen starts to feel a little concerning. Yeah, I think, 18 feels good just because that's three keys, right? So yeah, I, I think I think 12 to 15 is is a very viable like average. Like uh, like mm -hmm. I'm never sad as long as it's over 12. But once it gets under 12, I'm really looking at the deck going, okay, well, why would I care about this at this point? Mm -hmm. Because like, do I have like a trick like a a Quixel Stone or do I have a Fangtooth Cavern or like how am I stopping mm -hmm. my opponent from getting their maximum right. number, right? Because raw amber is so important. Like I I think raw amber is probably the most important thing to me, um, as far as like uh 
making me decide my initial step right the first step is always like how i'm going to look at a deck and if i'm going to give it like the time of day because i open multiple decks at a time all the time and like i can't play test every deck i open right and i I probably miss some that's that's fine um but in in general like i know where i'm going and where i want to be with things as far as uh all that goes so um yeah so enough about that stuff um so the other aspect of amber is the ability to capture or steal amber um this is probably third on my list mostly because um i've had decks with very low capture that are really good but um it's the quality of capture that matters right like in the quality of control amber control that matters so to me like when i see something that's like oh well we could steal amber like right like let's say like we'll use master of knock burning right so the amber control in that master knock burning you have pile of skulls mm-hmm. infernus shattered throne rock grub berserker slam and grok all of these are very highly effective ways of interrupting amber for a sealed event right like because infernus is obviously like he's mm-hmm. he's top of the top of the tier pile skulls is the number one artifact in brobnar period like nothing even close to pile of skulls to me maybe you could argue gauntlet of command you could you could argue gauntlet of command but gauntlet of command mm-hmm. doesn't have the same effect as as pile of skulls does i think right and shattered throne is is like basically yep. like a half of a, a pile of skulls right the only bad thing about that is that your opponent gets to use it too so um but uh like those are all great examples of amber control so your 11 amber control is like a pretty legit amber count right but there's also amber controls where they go oh you have like 11 amber control and you get like a bunch of grokes or you get a bunch of like you know things that basically have like oh your opponent loses one if you do this or, or your opponent loses this it loses this many if you do that and um when they become conditional like that they're just not as 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 easy to get to right and um I, I should pull up some of my other decks to give me a better like baseline story for this but like the idea is like i've seen plenty of decks that have like the, it's a borderline amber control because like 10 is kind of like my borderline amber control number um i like to see and but like mm-hmm. then you have to see what it is right because like um like say like here's a good example eventually obtuse inca is one of my favorite decks ever right like it's an 85 sass and stuff like that it has 3.3 amber control which is absolutely horrendous right like normally normally you wouldn't take any time to do it but the deck plays nature's call and like it has like two of them and it has like a lot of controlling elements has a rise control the weak um you know life ward uh ember imp uh shaffle shuler which are the two of my amber controls so the arise kind of doubles that right like if you look you know like when you scroll over my my deck sass for dis is 40 because of the uh, quality of cards like the best like almost wow. as, yeah. as perfect of a dis set as i could hope for right and then you look at my untamed suite and i have like a like a uh, double nature's call i have two ancient bears which is kind of people are like well whatever but i really like my ancient bear um you have dust pixie you have mighty tiger you have a mamook like you have a witch of the eye like you have all kinds of good stuff animals that come in like i can bounce and get multiple values from and stuff like that so it starts to turn the tide there as well and then when you go and you i look at my brobnar stuff i do have things in brobnar that are, are good that are good as well because they come into play and they do things like immediately for me too and i have like blood money ganger chieftain like those type of things but i also have heavy who's very underrated and i have like a uh, timeless crocag which gives me more punch for my dollar um and like i'm just able to like i don't know why this deck wins like when i for, when i look at it on paper other than the disc house when i look at it on paper i go ah it's pretty cool it's pretty good it has a lot of good cards but 
can it really win? And uh, this is the deck that I went to my prime with and won my first prime with. Like, first time I ever played mm-hmm. Keyforge in a competitive environment, and, like, I won my prime with it. And uh, it did really well. Like, it has its issues. Like, there are types of decks that are, are really hard to beat. But for the most part, like, um, it, it just does solid things throughout. And it has 12 raw amber, so it's, like, right there at my bare minimum for 12 raw amber. But, again, it has things like blood money and things like that that basically kind of skew that and, like, add to it like a big time so my expected amber gets up to like 24 so that's pretty solid Mm -hmm. and then even the speed of this deck is only 5.4 but again like the numbers don't always match up to the quality of the cards that you're putting and how they play together and in this deck the beauty of it is is that my quote-unquote amber control at 3.3 is horrible but the fact that i have a rise and i have two nature's calls and i have ways to bounce my amber control creatures back to my hand to put them back into play like that makes those like almost double up maybe sometimes triple up but like that's something that you have to learn by playing the decks and learning how they feel and stuff like that that's something like a lot of people don't take the time to do and i think that um that kind of like really starts to set things apart like as far as decks go and stuff like that but if you don't you don't believe me go play eventually obtuse inca and uh tell me what you think about it because the deck like started off as like a 76 or something something lower and then it just kept growing like every like it over the course of time and the uh, the new sets coming out and stuff like that it just got better and better and it's up to 85 now so like mm-hmm. I, I feel justified but i found that back when it was really in something that like the person i traded it with uh cody gunderson who's a, a good buddy of mine like we were both like ah it's kind of good and stuff and it kind of was like a throw into the trade and um i took it just because and like because i i love nature's call and like it had two so i was like yeah i guess i like it just because of that then it has like gateway to disc arise combo which is my favorite so i was like yeah sure i'll take it control the week yeah it has my favorite cards i'm gonna take it but then i started playing it and and i was like wow this deck is actually pretty good and i i I went on a tear with it but when cody was playing it he couldn't win with it so like it's one of those things where you have to find a pilot like that fits the style you know and um that's another thing like that goes into deck selection too is like finding your style right and finding a deck that actually matters to you because um not everybody can play every kind of deck like you know, some of the combo decks are really hard to play, and I would never want to take one of those to a tournament. It would, it would, it would like scramble my brain before I was ready to play again. Like, <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah. um, it, well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm, I'm listening and I'm looking at the deck as you're, you sort of been talking. A few, mm-hmm. few things pop out to me. I guess just first point of clarification. So, I, when I'm counting Ember on a deck, I'm normally doing my own estimation of expected Ember, not necessarily just raw pips, but. Um, but what's interesting about this deck is just the disruption score is quite high, right? Which is a yes. score that <laughs> I I don't often like. It's not the first thing I look at when I'm looking at a deck, right? When I'm just looking at an archon, don't have the advantage of having you know decks of Keyforge up. Mm-hmm. I I only start thinking about it when I start seeing things like you got here, like double control of the week. Or, or you've got, you know, an ember, a couple ember amps or, or life wards and stuff. That's when you start saying, well, wait a second. Like maybe, maybe it's got stuff to, to, to disrupt and to, to, to slow my opponent down such that, hey, maybe ember control isn't as important as it normally is because I can slow them down in other ways so that I can win. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's like not, definitely not the first thing I look at. Yeah, disruption is something that is very, very like rare to be that high. By the way, like you look mm-hmm. at most of the most of the deck lists, and disruption usually doesn't get the kind of love that this deck got. But um, it's usually when the Deece package is super that the disruption is high. And in this case, like seventeen, that's like like 
like tier one disruption level. <laughs> like, and that's the thing that makes this deck really, really strong. Like uh, you hit it right on the nose with the disruption because like the the way I get my value out of out of this deck and like it's and what makes it unique. It was hard to to um, figure out was that the fact that though my amber control is kind of low and though i have very average expected amber and very average raw amber and the speed is definitely not high it's not slow but it's not high like it's very like mediocre um the the key to it is, is that all those numbers get bo get boosted because i'm in your turn like a lot right mm -hmm. like like i'm controlling how many cards you draw with my nitrous calls i'm controlling how many cards you play with my control of the weeks i'm wiping your board with my like tremendous amount of, of board clear and then i'm life warding you so you can't come back and just throw things down so you're not going to get to get the numbers that you're accustomed to getting out of your deck and it basically makes your deck play awkward and that's the key to how eventually Obtuse Inca is wins and why it's so good is because like it basically plays at a different angle. This is like one of those guys that is kind of statistically out of the loop for what you would look for in a great deck. And these are the gems to find. These are the ones that are really fun to find. Um, in, in, in my in my opinion um so like uh yeah it does yeah it does have some some kind of weird stuff that first read is not apparent right like you can yeah i had no clue when i started playing this deck <laughs> yeah like you you play at your double dust damp they've got a big board you gateway right <laughs> then you arise back you play at your double dust damp and then you three fates and suddenly you've just bursted in, in discs like stuff like that like which is not not super obvious when you just read the deck which um i don't know discovering that stuff is is i don't know huge joy for me in, it's, in it's, the game. The, it's the business because then i can burst in in Brobnar too with my headhunters and ganger chieftain warsong blood mm -hmm. money like mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. expected and heavy the huge guess what he does he kills those ember <laughs> those dust imps that i just brought back from more yeah. yeah so yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. there's a lot of tricks it's, it's cool you saw that but like uh so you kind of see this is kind of where like this discussion like you can go look up the deck if you want to eventually obtuse inca and kind of play with it like it's one of those decks like i said that is an anomaly statistically but plays really well and it's super fun so like i love it it's one of my favorite decks um is this one is sentimental to me so like I, even though it says that i would uh you know everything i have is for sale or for trade like i, I never close the door on a pro thing but this is one of those decks that you would have to basically uh yeah yeah it's not gonna go anywhere like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's not for trade this is it's like it would take something super special to me because uh this is the first deck i ever played mm -hmm. in a tournament i won my prime with it yeah. it qualified me for worlds which i haven't got to cash in on yet but it, like the dominator bobble behind me in, in all my streams is because of eventually obtuse inca so like this deck has a lot of extra to me that like nobody else would probably give me the worth i want for it so like i'm not worried sure. about it going anywhere <laughs> I, I, yeah. I i would probably sell my 91 sas deck or like trade my 91 sas deck long before i ever got rid of this one so <laughs> mm -hmm. and that says a lot. Oh, it's something to it right i think i think that's part of why i like keyboard is it gives you a lot of really great interesting experiences right and mm -hmm. even if the deck isn't uh well this one looks real good yeah but, but there's 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 definitely decks that are, are i think are good but not amazing that i own that i i'm just like hey, you know it, it's probably worth more to me than someone else because it does this cool thing and i just like messing around with it even if i wouldn't bring it to a vault well all the all the all the flipping all the flipping that i've done of my decks over the last two years like which is a lot like my, my deck collection changes quite quite regularly because i trade like 
I'm I'm a huge trader. Like I love trading decks more than selling or, or anything because I think cash value for decks is hard on me because like uh, I don't really it's hard to go. I'm being fair to somebody, right? And like I always tell people if they're gonna buy something off me, it's like we both have to be happy with it. Like I don't care what anybody else says. It's like as long as both sides are happy, that's what I care. But at the same time, like I could see value in certain decks. Like I had a chance to buy a deck called Linguini a long time ago for 400 bucks, and instead I basically told the guy you should auction this because it's gonna go for crazy. It went for like. 2600 bucks or something and uh but i could have had it for 400 but i just don't have it in me to do that right like and like um there's been a lot of that with me because i i try to be as fair and honest as possible because in the end that's me and i get to look in the mirror and go i know that i'm not screwing people and that's like the biggest thing for me right um mm-hmm. it doesn't mean i don't get screwed by people but like it means that i don't screw people <laughs> right and then like and even I mean, I mean, it- the best case, best case is that when I got Inca, actually, was um, the trade was like I gave up like ten to twelve decks to Cody, and I got like four decks in return. And one of them was mm-hmm. a, was a Ganka deck, which I thought was cool, but I didn't know how good it was. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being really, really, really good, way better than I thought. I felt bad about it. I sent him more decks because I felt horrible about <laughs> it, like uh, because like it was really better than it, than I expected it to be, right? But like even though the deal yeah. was done and it was set and done, it's just because I didn't feel balanced on it. And if you don't believe me, you can go ask mm-hmm. him. It's Both and Jedi in Discord. Find him and ask him if it's not. True. it's absolutely true <laughs> um but like uh, i you know we kind of bounced out the deal but like i was like but we both overlooked it like and that was fine and then inca was part of it and that was another overlook right and like it was just that was the one time i made a deal where i felt like man i missed a lot on that deal and i, I feel very awkward about it even though i gave them a ton of great stuff um but like uh i, I like to be super fair in my trades especially so yeah. um like so, so i actually have a little different strategy in terms of how i how i acquire decks which uh go for it it's, it's i still you know i still do the things we've been talking about in terms of how i analyze the deck but mm-hmm. uh so i don't i've never sold a deck i've never traded a deck uh, maybe i'm a hoarder <laughs> but um um i also have never really spent that much money on a deck so i i have a little price limit i have for myself mm-hmm. budget for myself per deck and i you know, roughly to that, and I just keep looking for decks that are interesting that are pretty cheap, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's worked relatively well for me. I, you know, I'm not saying I, you know, found a, you know, a, a you know, Voltor winning deck for twenty bucks or anything like that, but, <laughs> um, uh, um, but you can find some really fun, like good stuff to play with for for cheap. If you and, if you open up enough decks, you're eventually going to get a Voltor quality deck. Like, yeah, uh, well, my best deck is something I opened. I have yeah. an 84 SAS uh, uh, that I just, yeah, randomly opened. Nice. But, um, but yeah, I think I think it's a good. It can be a good strategy. Like when I look at some of these decks that are going for hundreds of dollars, I'm like, yeah, this deck's good, but like, it's not like that much better <laughs> than the deck I just paid 30 bucks for. Mm-hmm. Um, so. At least in many cases. Sometimes you see them like, okay, yeah, that deck is bonkers. But uh, I don't know. Some of the decks out there I feel like are overpriced. Well, I mean, that's just a, like I said, the secondary market for this is, is crazy. Because, like, honestly, what you pay for on the secondary market is very simple. For, like, people who ask me this question, too, is, like, and I've told this people to all the time. It's, like, it's basically buyer and seller, right? You have to be happy on both sides. And the thing is, mm-hmm. is that some decks are going to have more hype than other decks. And then people, some people mm-hmm. are salespeople, and they're going to hype up all the positive aspects of a deck. And I encourage you to stop looking at, like, oh, my God, this is Dav with, like, you know, 15 creatures or whatever this and that. But look and say, well well, how does this matter? Like, why does it matter? Does it have a key out? Like, what are the shitty, like, what are the, like, the crappiest cards that uh, are 
you know, in the deck. Because if you look at the crappiest cards in the deck and you can find like five or six of them, it, the deck is not going to be super good because those cards are going to always show up at the worst time. Like, <laughs> I promise you. Mm -hmm. um, but when you have a deck with like, the best decks in my opinion are decks that like every card in the deck seems to be above average. Like, and very rarely is there a time in a game where you go, man, I wish I hadn't drawn this card right now, right? And, but like to be fair, some of the some of the better cards in the game are those cards too. Like when you talk about Binite Rupture being an alpha, like you're like, man, I really don't want to draw this mm -hmm. at the wrong time. But eighty percent of the time it's okay, but twenty percent of the time it stinks, right? The, those are not the kind of cards I'm talking about. I'm right. talking about cards like you know like Niffle Ape, where Niffle Ape is just inherently if you get one niffle ape in a deck yeah. it's not great like it's, it's it's a card that has to come into play before it does anything of value then it's like there are only three points of damage which every other three point of damage creature probably has a really awesome thing tied to it right like you think uh -huh. you think of like uh witch yep. of the eye or like you think of uh you know like Zix, uh, Zixel of the Many, whatever his name is. I don't know how you pronounce the stupid Martian names. But uh, like you think of things like that, and that's the kind of quality, three points, and then you get Niffle Ape, which can avoid Elusive or Taunt. Like, seems mm -hmm. seems much mm -hmm. much yeah. much worse, yeah. right? So those are the kind of things I'm talking about. It's like usually when we say a creature's bad, it's not because it's horrible, because Niffle Apes aren't horrible in their own right, right? Like they have value, but they are not something that you want to draw in a crucial point in a, in a timely point. Like they are not going to impact the game until at least a turn or two later. Um, and that's not really, that's the kind of quality that we're talking about. Right. Like um, a lot of people are kind of split on yep. cards like Magda the rat, right? Because Magda the rat is like, Ooh, you know, there's a creature, at least it has a four body that's bigger than most three, you know, the, the specialty right. type things. But when she comes to play, she steals two and she's elusive. So that's great. But when she leaves play, your opponent steals two back. So in essence, she's a four power vanilla creature. And like that, if you time her right, she's really good. And if you time her incorrectly, she's really bad. Right. So <laughs> she's a skill kind of card to play. And like, where... right. Yeah. And, and that's where I think some, you know, when I'm looking for decks that are cheap, right, a lot of times they're not super high sassed. You, you sort of look to see like where, like, where are those opportunities? Like, hey, this card in general is mediocre, but hey, within this deck, it, it's actually pretty decent. You know, like, um, uh, you know, one of the decks I have, it's got like some Seekers of Truth, which are kind of junky, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also got a Daptoid, and I've got a ton of enhancements in Sanctum. So suddenly I can use Seeker of Truth to like hit with a Daptoid and steal five or something, right? And it's like, okay, like mm -hmm. now now this card has some value. It's still not the best card in the world, but sometimes you can you can find some fun stuff when, when looking like that. Yeah, and there, there's cards that are also like situationally good or bad based on like what the decks like what you're talking about, like how the deck is composed, right? So like a good mm -hmm. example of that is I have a deck called mm -hmm. Tomb Craig of the Traders Theater. And uh, this is another like special deck to me. I've had it forever. It's an AOA deck. It's only 67 SAS. Um, but like uh, Tomb Craig is like basically a binite rupture uh, interdimensional graft, which is what we call Briggs combo. Um, it does have two helper bots with it. It has Desania, which is crazy good. But it has it also has a key charge out. So that's why it's an actual Briggs combo because it has a way to win with Briggs. It's not just like do it and get value. Um, but like um, the other thing in the deck that is like really good in this situation, and it's not good in every situation, is Soldiers to Flowers um, for Amber mm. Burst, right? And so like my Amber Burst says it's only 14 and my expected Amber is at 29, which are both are 
pretty solid numbers, but that is mostly driven off of this binite rupture thing. Um, and like it does have Miasma and Ronnie Risk Clocks and some of the good shadowy stuff. Um, Perplexing Sophiastry is a card that I can't speak highly enough about when it comes to advantage and board control, but that's kind of like for the next section, so we're not going to talk about it yet. Um, but like um, for Amber Burst, though, Soldiers <laughs> the Flower here, I have um, seven, or no, I have six. Um, I have six creatures in Untamed. So, and it's it's a Darna, a Glimmer, two Noxes, Marrow Swarm, and Piranha Monkeys. Not an impressive Untamed suite, right? But Piranha Monkeys does work for me when it needs to. It kills a lot of those two power, one power specialty creatures that come into play. Um, Glimmer does work for me because it lets me recycle my the cards I need to recycle um, when I need to recycle them. So she's always, Glimmer is always pretty interesting. And that's why she's one power. It's not because, one power alpha is because the power of Glimmer is nuts. Like, um, but if you could play it at any time, that card would be busted. It would be, it would be straight bonkers. So the alpha limitation makes people kind of sleep mm -hmm. on her a little bit but she's still really good and she helps because i can use that late, later in the game like i can use my soldiers of flowers early to basically get um it in the it, into the graveyard for one amber right like just get it out of the way and basically get a little bit of amber if i need to or this or that but the good thing about soldier flowers is that it purges all six of these creatures for me if i want like once they're in the graveyard and i get amber for it so like i get a huge amber burst in untamed plus i get to uh play my key charge so how does that matter that matters because during my t late game turn of untamed instead of having to play my creatures and wait to reap with them i can literally play my i can discard my creatures soldiers the flowers and win with my key charge right so that's like a very awkward kind of mm -hmm, like thing mm -hmm. to see for nice. people but yeah. like uh soldiers of the flowers has a lot of po power in this deck because of that and that's like an, another one of those like quiet amber bursts that sometimes people don't see or they don't get to or they don't figure out um so I mean, like, Amber is, is the heart of the game, right? If you're not making Amber, you're not making keys. And so, therefore, Amber interaction to me is by far the most important thing that you can look for in a deck and how you're going to get to your win condition, right? And all your win conditions are based off of your Amber control and your Amber and how you create Amber. Um, as far as control cards go, stealing and capturing, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, since we kind of, like, beat raw Amber, generated Amber all into the ground and gave you guys plenty of examples to think about. Um, capturing and stealing... Mm -hmm. Are, are two very different psychologies, right? Um, I'll let you tell me, like, what? how do you feel about stealing and capturing, since I've been kind of dominating you on accident, <laughs> as far as, like, talk time. I'm going to give you some talk time. And I mean, stealing is clearly better on average. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, man. So, uh, I, I, you know, stealing is clearly better from from just a, a pure straight up and down, right? But if, you're, uh, if I don't know this game and I, I'm looking at you and going, well, stealing is cool, but capturing seems really good too. Why isn't capturing, like they're both good, right? They both take Amber off of my opponent from making keys. So why why is stealing so much better than capturing? And, and the question is, well, sure, is, so, so is it, it, is it, is the question. It is. <laughs> it is really. Uh, so, so it, you know, it's bigger delta, right? Because because you're going up one while your opponent's going down one, so it's a net of two, right? Whereas capture, often you're you're taking your opponent off by one, and then you're um, um, going to give that back to them eventually. So so now not always, right? Now where capture gets interesting is some clever things you can do with it, right? Hey, do I have you're cutting out a little bit cards that actually let me um take better advantage of, of capture oh okay back up no you're fine uh, you keep talking so, sure 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 so do we have uh so does your cat you have cards 
cards that help you take better advantage of capture than you otherwise might. Right? So the obvious ones are things like Ludo, right? Mm -hmm. Can you capture a whole bunch, have a Ludo out, and then blow everything up, right? And and all that all that ember goes away. Hmm. Yeah. So like, or um... do you have uh, a Shrix, right? Or do you have yeah, a whole, whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So so basically, what you're saying is that capturing and stuff is actually like dependent on the deck again right like and how you look at a deck and stuff like that so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw mm -hmm. out a deck for you to look at mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll discuss this deck because when you yeah. say when you say capturing is not as good as stealing i'm going to be the new nub player that like all i've opened is five packs and this is one of my decks the daughter that snorts at pets um in this deck i don't have that much <laughs> i don't have i don't have that much stealing but it seems like my capturing tool is pretty good here and that is because I have double Faust. I have like Commandeer, which is dumb. Mm -hmm. I have Bring Low, which is mm -hmm. dumb. And all these things are capture tools, right? But the trick to this mm -hmm. deck, really, like when you see this deck, right, it's pretty gross. And humble, double humble. Yeah, double <laughs> humble. Yeah, <laughs> like so. This deck is really, and Hedonistic Intent is really fun too, by the way. Um, but <laughs> but uh, this deck basically does a lot of capturing. There's a lot of Amber that gets put on the board and get le gets left on the board during this game. Um, so why does capture feel so good to me in this deck? So I'm gonna let you tell me since this is my deck and I know why it's good. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, so <laughs> he's being put got... on the spot. Time out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's being put All on right, the spot. So, so give him here. some time to think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, so, so you've got you're cutting. Uh, that right, I mean, you got three capture pips, which is some but not a lot. You've got, well, so, so you have a Vault Keeper, right? So if we're going on the premise that uh, this is like one of your first decks and you see your Ember cannot be stolen is a card, that's going to influence you to maybe think that capture is good. But, but let's set that aside for a moment. Um, so, so we started talking about the double Humble, the double Faust the Greats, right? So that lets you pump your opponent's key cost based on, um, based on all... All that capture. Oh, it, okay. So you've got a Curiosaurus, right? So Curiosaurus is is really fun, right? Um, right. Each destroyed creature with Ember on it gains destroyed. Move one Ember from this creature to the most powerful enemy creature. So, so if you capture one on all, I don't know, six of your guys, and then um, board clear, it's all going to go to your opponent's most powerful guy, and then and then you're just going to get that, right? So suddenly you've you've got. Um, uh, you've kind of sort of stolen, right? But, right, it was sort of a, a steal, but a delayed steal, right? Now, now because capture is generally weaker, there are cards that let you capture way more than you'd, you'd probably be able to steal. Yeah, Curiosaurus is the key, right? right? Post-bait switch um, uh, world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Curiosaurus does a lot of work in this deck. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. the Faust, the double Fausts are pretty gross as well. And the idea too here is that Barista Joya nice. get, goes very under the radar. But Barista Joya is nuts because I can disrupt my opponent's ability to re re reap, which means like most of the Star Alliance guys mm -hmm. and stuff that are normally played are not that good. But since I play Star Alliance, you think that would hurt me. But And honestly, like the away teams and the Captain Valjerico and stuff like that, they don't need to reap to be effective. They're being effective in like the ability to stack on them and do things, right? So um, the disruption field is actually pretty fun too. But 
The real key to this deck, though, is the Armageddon oh, Cloaks. And you got a Neosaurus, too. Yeah, and I have a Neosaurus, <laughs> too. Yeah, which, like, this... So you can, you can just reap, and then they can't fight or reap. There yes. you go. <laughs> so this is, this is one of those decks I need to talk to Corey Than about, because it has zero disruption, and I don't agree with that. <laughs> I agree. I, I think that my deck is very mm. disruptive, so I want to know why it has a zero disruption score. <laughs> Especially, like, the Armageddon Cloaks. Yeah, that is a... Especially, especially the Armageddon cloaks getting put onto Fausts, like, <laughs> and then like, yeah. There's lots of interesting things that are going on here. But Barry Sajoya, Vault Keeper, like, there's just like tool characters that basically are going to do kind of nutty things, right? But this is a good example of like, again, capture is just in this deck is better than steel because it does capture things, right? But then again. I do agree with you 100% on the basic concept of stealing is a two for one because you're basically taking from you and giving me one and it's going into my pool directly, which normally is a better play than being put into a, into a capture state. But then again, when we talk about capture states like that, let me um, bring my next point of like a uh, contradiction to that is Saurian decks that play Barakas well, Senator Barakas well, um, Mm. At that point, I I don't think capture is quite as good anymore either, and, and, or stealing is not as good as capture either. So like that is another like avenue to think about when you, when you're looking at your deck as well is like how do you how are you getting payouts for these captures? But for the most part, <laughs> chaos in the house. Um, for the most part, the capture the capture sequencing is always going to be a little bit weaker than the stealing sequencing, but don't let that be the thing that sets you aside or puts you on a negative thought about a deck as we like as you move forward in looking at decks because um, I know I have one deck in here that has a Barakas somewhere that I am oh you know what I think it's Brend my deck Brend but that's but I don't think of it as my Barakas got deck. a uh, double Barakas deck <laughs> yeah like I have Brend the Underworld Diplomat if you look at that deck that's a Barakas deck but in all reality it's a Saurian egg deck I have two Saurian eggs. I have two Saurian eggs, and my Saurian eggs are basically um, one has three amber and a, and, a, and a card draw, and the other one has three amber or two amber and a capture. So that with the Amphora Captura and the two Scrivener Fabians makes my deck really really gross later on late in the game. And it has yeah. three Ludos and a Faust as well, and a Nero Taurus. Triple which, Ludo, yeah. So you protect it, yeah. Yeah. So like uh this deck does lots lots Back of yeah. Lot, so, so. And it has commandeer too just to make it even worse but <laughs> like, like. So so what what's interesting also about both of these decks is the expected ember is also very solid, mm -hmm. right? So so capture as I mentioned before like without big ways to the captured ember it really just slows your opponent down. But sometimes that can be okay. If you've got a high expected ember and it's like, hey, I just need one or two turns to slow him down so I can key charge for a win. Even without all this crazy support in the decks you're showing here, um, capture can be good, but but you need that other stuff. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair assessment. Um, I think that uh, you know, in, in the long run, like I said, like the capture the capture effect is is definitely uh, important. Well, I made a blunder shopping, but anyway. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so that's basically Amber Interaction. Um, we went pretty long on Amber Interaction, so if you don't have a full scope of what Amber inter Amber Interaction is about, then I don't think we could give you a better a better explanation of how Amber Interaction is important to the game. So, um, 
the second third parts of this are board interaction and deck cycling. But I think what we could do is I could ask Draz to come back and we could finish the series and make it basically one each because I think we can get pretty deep on both of these other topics too. And I don't want to cut them short sure. um, since we kind of blasted through this one and this we already got a pretty good amount of time on this on this one and. Uh, Let's like make a plan then to maybe get together and do next week. We'll do board interactions and then we'll talk about cycling and make it into a series. And people can that way they'll have something to follow up and look back on as we go forward. But I do appreciate you. And like, do you there have you anything else? Fun. Do, you, do you have anything else that you would like to talk about about Amber since we're kind of all Amber today? About Amber? Um, I don't know. Um. So I guess we talked about generating amber. We talked about stealing amber. Um, you know, I think that um, I think it was pretty solid. Yeah, I think uh, I think we covered most of the aspects, and we have also talked counterpoints, which I think is important. Um, so, like, just like there is never yeah. a, a one answer solution to anything in Keyforge. And that's like the thing that you have to start thinking about when you think about SAS or you're looking at the numbers. The numbers are a guideline to give you an idea how the deck wants to drive. And I, I think every time you look at a deck, like there is definitely a value in the SAS as it is telling you kind of the the thumbprint of how the deck works. But in the end, like the SAS number itself is not a end all be all by any means for anything other than giving you kind of an idea. But the thing is, is with those numbers and statistics, it basically is putting quality quality things together. So the higher the SAS it goes, usually in, in, in equally capable hands, the higher SAS will win more often than lose usually against the lower sasses unless there's like some kind of like deeper combo that it can't register like in tomb crag like there's three combos in that deck that basically give it a plus a definitely a plus sass kind of feel to it you know what i mean but um that goes mm -hmm. for almost any deck i guess if you kind of figure out how to play it Th those... yeah sort of like when, when i see a sass number I, I i sort of think to myself oh you know hey brenda's a 76 plus minus five right <laughs> Brenda's, Bre <laughs> you know, so, so hey, there, there might be a seventy-five. I don't know. Yeah, that's regularly better, but hey, uh, or not, right? had, or the other way around. This might be better than a seventy-seven. Yeah, I've had my eighties lose to. I've had my eighties lose to sixties, so it happens. Like it really just depends on sometimes on how the the cards come mm -hmm. out and how you line For your sure. cards up and how and how their line cards come out and like some cards some cards are just hard counters to entire decks like uh it's just odd that way but that's the beauty and the variance of uh of playing keyforge is that you're never playing like meta decks that are just playing against meta decks so like there's always that discovery aspect that they wanted with the game right so that's why we love keyforge in the in the long run oh, yeah. is because it's always so different you know, diversity of yeah like my my question to you is how many times have you played a game with somebody it's, like three times it's pretty impressive Right. Oh, sorry. I think you cut out because like, <laughs> but uh, the uh, how many times have you played a game oh. with like your friends and basically went three games in a row and like all three games are completely different <laughs> with the same deck? It's like, yeah. I mean, decks like games regularly feel different, right? I mean, unless unless your speed is super high on a deck, even with the same deck, it can feel quite different from game to game, right? It, and and you know, I will. Um, I'm a little faster to, to learn now, but especially when I first started with this game, like I would sometimes take a deck and go like one and four, and then go four and one following that because just 
taking that time to learn it and figuring out like, oh, well, what's what's it supposed to do? What's it trying to do? Like, how do I take advantage of what it has? It takes a little time, right? And, and uh, you know, the more you practice, the quicker you can do that. Uh, but even some decks are so weird, like it still can take quite a while to figure it out. Yeah, and, it's, and then you have to be able to close with the deck too. Like you have to learn, you have to be able to play it. Like I said, like I think everybody has a play style. Mm-hmm. And um, like the better you are in tune sure. with how you play and how your mindset is, the better it is that you know what you're falling into traps with, right? Like I'm, a, I'm an overly aggressive player, mm-hmm. like a lot of the time, but there <laughs> are times where people that I play, they know I'm overly aggressive. So by putting the brakes on a little bit and kind of just slowing down a little bit, like it, it changes the, the the result a lot. So um, I don't know, it's just like Keyforge is so fun because like it's always a learning curve, right? And the best thing I could say to new Keyforge players is, and old ones alike, is that you, if you can look in the mirror and honestly evaluate how you played and like what you did and what differences and what different things could have happened or how, other people are thinking when they make plays and you don't understand them, like it will take you a long way in the game and it'll help you be that much better in the long run. So, so that's where I'm at. Absolutely. And that, absolutely. That's going to be my, clo- my closing remarks. Uh, so you can tell me what you want to tell me and then we'll be out. <laughs> ah, I, I was going to, going to agree with you and, and just say like, Hey, when you're, when you're practicing with that deck, when you're going to a tournament, right? Like I think setting your expectations for yourself too high can, can give yourself a lot of stress and just, yeah, if you take it easy and say, Hey, I'm just going to do my best in each game. I'm going to get a little better each time that that can do really well. That, you know, I had zero expectation to, to do well at Philly packs and uh, just having that sort of attitude and some, some very good luck helped me get through it. And uh, so that's what I recommend you do. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. And like, uh, it is time to go. So this is Jupiter from Manlius, New York, thanking uh, Drac here for uh, hanging out with me today and talking about Amber. And we'll have him back and we'll finish up this series uh, in the next couple of weeks. And hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed this. But um, this is one of our top, like one of our top players in, in Keyforge at this moment, whether he likes to say it or not. Um, but he's here because he's qualified and he's playing. So we'll see how he does the rest of the way out. No, no, no pressure on you. I promise. But uh, you got you got to win now that you now that now that you're uh, now that you're web famous, right? <laughs> so uh, something like that. <laughs> so yeah. So like, enjoy the tournament. Keep doing well. Um, I do enjoy watching your games, and you're always a very pleasant person. So thank you for that, and thank you for awesome. the- yeah. Thanks for setting this up, and uh, yeah. Well, now you have a, a running spot. You have two more shows you have to come back for. See, I, tra- <laughs> I, I trapped you. you. Just kidding. But uh, so this is a, a guy that I, I plan on becoming good friends with because he doesn't yeah. live too far away. From, he doesn't live too far <laughs> Thank away. You. Thanks a lot, man. All right, take it easy, man. And uh, like I said, we will uh, be back. All right. We'll be back soon, and we will be sure to uh, do the good things and talk the good fight and try to bring you guys some more knowledge about the game and how we see it and perceive it. Um, so this is Jupiter from Manlius, New York, and I'm out. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation, reach out to us at League at gmail.com and join the show. Without you, we couldn't be us. Check out www.keyforge.com premierleague.com for links to all our content including learn to play videos and critique on gameplays no matter what your level is you are always welcome be a part of it the keyforge premier league get there